I was reading a story uh, not too long ago about a story that occurred in 1754 in colonial America, actually in Connecticut, when part of Connecticut, Connecticut was the frontier, and a town called Wyndham, Connecticut, uh, that was on this edge of civilization at the time. This town was right there also where they were uh, caught up in the French and Indian War. And one night, things are pretty quiet, things are pretty calm, this little village of, of just a couple hundred farmers, and all of a sudden they heard noise. And at first was sort of scattered noise, then it became just this cacophony of noise, and it was this deep bellowing of pain and agony, and they thought they heard voices being cried out. Uh, the story goes that even some of them thought it was the, the Battle of Armageddon taking place, or it, it was demonic voices, but the women kind of huddled in their homes, and the moms and, and children stayed in the homes, and the men went outside and got on a hill trying to figure out where these crazy voices were coming from. What was taking place? Was there some part of the war taking place they weren't aware of? And uh, they couldn't see anything in the shadows. They got up on a hill with their guns, and they were ready to defend their little town. And about five in the morning, the voices just died out. And as daylight came, the men went out looking for what happened, what was taking place, because the sound was just echoing all around them, and it was such a frightening, startling sound. And they went into a field where there was a small pond in the middle of the field, and they'd been through a drought season. It had been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And they discovered that there were bullfrogs dead everywhere thousands of giant bullfrogs. Apparently the frogs had come from everywhere fighting over this little patch of water and they had had the battle of the bullfrogs that night killing each other. And so this horrific uh, disorienting sound that seemed to surround them uh, that they thought maybe was the end for this little village was all about these bullfrogs. As a matter of fact, there are a couple of ballads have been written over the years about the battle of the bullfrogs in Wyndham, Connecticut. I don't think Jeremiah was a bullfrog is in that category. Um, and, and the town erected these giant statues, these, these frogs, 11 of these in their town today, of these frogs on this big pillar. And at Christmas, they put a nice scarf around each frog. And in the last year, they've put masks on each of these frogs to remind people about masks. But as I read the story, I thought, you know, that's how it is in our Christian lives. We hear noise, we hear scary things, we, we don't know what's going on, we get disoriented, we get overwhelmed. It can be for us in this world today, in our nation, in our community, in our family, in our own personal lives. And it really is true, though, there is a war going on, it's a significant war. It's not like the Battle of the Bullfrogs, it's spiritual warfare between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, Satan himself, hell itself, and there is this cosmic conflict that we're a part of, and we hear in our daily lives through the stuff we face in this broken world, kind of the noise that's disorienting. And today I want to talk about how do we engage in that kind of warfare? What, what are some of the things we do? And really we're going to talk today about what we see in Daniel chapter 9 and how Daniel deals with the noise and the disorienting stuff of his life. If you want to look in Daniel chapter 9, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 19. We're going to talk today about fighting on our knees. Actually, this week and next, we're going to talk about prayer. This week, we're going to look at how we pray, and specifically how we pray for others. And then next week, as we look at Daniel 10, we're going to see how God allows in Daniel 10 for us to see the curtain between here and heaven pulled back, and we see what goes on on the other side of prayer. We see while Daniel was praying here, what was going on in heaven, and it tells us something about what's going on on the other side of prayer when we're praying to God. We'll see that next week. 
But today, as we look into Daniel 9, I want us to understand this. The most effective and fulfilling way to engage in the clash between the kingdoms of light and darkness is to fight on our knees in prayer for others. To fight on our knees in prayer for others. There's something powerful about us praying for the healing, the the salvation, the restoration of a marriage, praying for other people, that job situation, those finances for our nation. There's something that allows us to find great fulfillment when we get on our knees and we pray for each other and we pray for others. It's called intercessory prayer. There are all kinds of ways to pray, but when we pray in intercessory prayer, Intercessory prayer, we're not praying about our own needs, we're praying about the needs of others. Intercessory prayer is simply praying to God on behalf of others. Daniel does that in Daniel 9. He lives five centuries before Jesus. He was taken captive as God allowed his judgment to fall on his people for their waywardness, and the Babylonians conquered them and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Daniel and others are taken captive. He has lived for God according to God's Word, he's lived for God in a foreign nation as an exile in a culture that was very distinct and different than his own. More and more the story for us as Christians in our culture. And he did that faithfully. One thing you've seen in his life is this pattern of prayer. Constantly he is praying throughout the book. Now Daniel has been away from the nation for 65, 66 years by the time we get to Daniel 9. He's been in captivity, served several foreign kings and even kingdoms. And God had said that it would be 70 years of God's people being judged by these foreign lands that would crush them before he would allow the people to return and the walls of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, even the temple of God to be rebuilt because he was judging them for their waywardness. And Daniel prays just a few years before the 70 years is up because he wants to pray on behalf of the people back in Jerusalem and back in Israel where he has not been for over six decades. And best we know, he never ended up there. He never got to be there and see all those things that would be fulfilled. And yet he prays for them, an intercessory prayer. Now before we can actually pray for each other, we have to have access to God. We're all born without access to God. We're all born sinners and that sin blocks us from our God. But Jesus came, he went to the cross, he was buried and he conquered the grave so that the blockage of our sin would be removed by him and what he did for us, the finished work of Jesus. And a lot of people think, well, you gotta go to a specific church, you gotta go to a specific pastor or some minister, or you gotta go to some organization or through some rules or regulations to have a right relationship with God, to have access to him and to know that you have an eternal home with him in heaven someday. You gotta go through somebody, you don't. At least no human entity or any human person. Matter of fact, First uh, Peter two five says, "For there is one." First Timothy two five says, "For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The only one who can give you access and a relationship with God is Jesus, who died for you. Once you know Him, you have access to go before Him. If you don't know Jesus, come to faith in Christ today. And if today's the day you come to Jesus, or you want to ask questions, any way you want to communicate with us about this." You can text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen and we'll follow up with you with some resources to help you. We'll have staff check on you and see if we can answer questions or celebrate with you that you've come to faith in Christ and Christ alone. I can't get you to heaven. No minister can, no church can, only Jesus can. 
Only Jesus can. If you're online, you can text that name Jesus uh, to the number there. If you're in the room, you can do that, or you can greet me on the patio after the service. I'll be out there. We can have someone on our team make sure you understand what it means to have access to God through the one mediator, Jesus Christ. Then we're told in Scripture, specifically in Romans 8, that Jesus is interceding at the right hand of the Father for us, that the Holy Spirit who's in us is interceding and praying on our behalf even times when we don't know how to put words to it, he's crying out to the Father for us. But we're commanded to be praying for each other. First Peter 2, or first, I don't know why I've got Peter on my mind here. First Timothy 2, 1, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for everyone. Well, who would that include? Well, that would include your family, your friends, strangers, enemies, neighbors, authorities, those in leadership in our nation, our state, our community. It could include missionaries and pastors. I appreciate when you pray for me. Romans talks about praying for our fellow citizens. It's praying for the sick, the overwhelmed. It's praying for all people. Now, some of you already may have a practice in your life of intercessory prayer, praying for your kids and grandkids and neighbors and maybe somebody in your small group or on your ministry team. Praise God. And maybe you'll learn some things here from Daniel's prayer. But maybe you don't pray regularly for others. I just want to encourage you this week to develop a list of maybe five to seven names you'll commit to praying for once a day for the next two weeks. Five to seven names. And again, it could be a leader, could be uh, members of your family. And then just take those names before the Lord and on your knees before God. We need to be fighting for, for the needs of others on our knees before the Lord. Now let's read Daniel 9, 1 to 19. I'm going to read it in its entirety and then make some comments on it. But let's read Daniel 9 and hear his prayer, his intercessory prayer for the people who are far from him, hundreds of miles away in his homeland. Verse 1, it was the first year of the reign of Darius Samid, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord, as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed. O Lord, you are great and awesome, God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far, wherever you have driven us because of your, our disloyalty to you. O oh Lord, we and our kings, princes, and ancestors are covered with shame because we've sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, giving even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. 
Yet we've refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us this disaster he prepared. The Lord our God has right to do all these things, for we did not obey him. O Lord, our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power, but we have sinned and are full of wickedness. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay. Oh my God, for your people and your city bear your name. Do you hear the heart of Daniel? He's praying for people he will never meet. He's praying for something that's going to happen three or four years from now that, that he won't be a part of. And yet he's on his knees. He's fighting in the, in the spiritual warfare that's taking place. And it has been taking place for generations as he prays on behalf of others. So the most effective and fulfilling way to fight in this war, this disoriented war, is to fight on our knees and praying for others in intercessory prayer, like Daniel. Well, I just want to look quickly, and we'll move through these very quickly. Just eight things about Daniel's intercessory prayer that need to be true of our prayer for others as we pray on behalf of the needs of people around us. And maybe one or two of these or three of these things are going to hit you sideways, and that's an area you need to grow, and the Holy Spirit is showing you that. And then find ways to grow in that area. The first thing we need to know about intercessory prayer is that intercessory prayer requires a God-sized perspective. A God-sized perspective. Praying according to God's will, not our wants. In verse 2, it says that Daniel learned from reading the word of the Lord as had been revealed by the prophet Jeremiah who lived before Daniel, before the judgment was brought on God's people and they were taken captive and Jerusalem destroyed. And, and Jeremiah said it would last 70 years. And so Daniel isn't praying that this would happen right now. Daniel isn't praying outside of God's will, God's written will. He's praying within God's will. Sometimes people will ask me to pray for something. I say, I can't pray for that. That goes against God's word. Because we have to pray within the written will of God, not just our wants. But secondly, we need to know that there's an unwritten will of God. God is working this giant tapestry that is so beautiful and he's weaving through the circumstances of life. And sometimes what I want and my purposes and my plans are, are not the same as God's eternal purposes and will and plans. And he's putting something together that from the top all makes sense as that stitchery is coming together. And we look from the underside at the threads and the knots and it doesn't all make sense. But we have to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, not my wants, Lord. Romans 8, 27 says, The Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Even the Spirit of God who intercedes for us does that within the written and even the unwritten will of God. A God-sized perspective. God gets it, even if our prayers aren't answered the way we think they should be. He is weaving something beautiful in his eternal plan. Secondly, 
in intercessory prayer, we not only need a God-sized perspective, we need an intentional fervency, a, a passion, a persistence in our prayer. And sometimes there are needs that come in our lives and the lives of others that are so intense that we need a fervency in prayer. This is praying with a sense of urgency, not complacency. In verse three, he says, so I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. He's gonna stop eating to make sure that his attention is focused on taking the needs of God's people to God in prayer. We need to pray with a sense of urgency, not complacency. Ephesians 6.18 says, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There's a focus and intensity. And sometimes folks will share a prayer request with me that is so burdensome or there's a crisis. This person might not make it through the ICU or, or, or this guy's job is on the line and the next few decisions at the business and this person in this situation. And, and they'll be so intense that, you know, you can just say to someone, well, I'll pray for you and then go on and not pray for them. You can put them on your list of five to seven people to pray for that I'm just encouraging you to do. And maybe you can expand that list as you grow in intercessory prayer. Well, one of the things a friend of mine taught me years ago, you know, Daniel prayed three times a day. There was a good pattern there. And so I have an alarm set on my iPhone and my watch that goes off at eight in the morning, noon, and four in the afternoon. And when someone shares me in the lobby or outside or emails me or a friend talks to me about a need that's really intense and an answer is needed right now, I will commit to praying three times a day for one week for those individuals. I'll say, I'll pray for you three times a day for the next seven days. And I do that about three to five people at a time, and it's always rotating in this, this little alarm that comes up to remind me to pray. You know what I've learned? It kind of gets my eyes off my own life and my own part in this battle, and I begin to see the needs of others, and my heart of compassion grows. Now, I know that if all of you come out with an urgent request and ask me to pray three times a day for the next seven days, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> but maybe you want to try that. Just commit to that kind of prayer for people. That's what, what we mean by this fervency. And Daniel had that. We need that. Thirdly, uh, uh, intercessory prayer involves a God-centered faith. A God-centered faith. Too many Christians see God as this great big genie who's going to give them all their wishes, or at least their top three. And that's what prayer is. No, it isn't. We're praying according to God's will. We've got to trust God. Praying with trust first in who God is, not what he can do. I know a lot of believers who the trust is in what God can do, they don't really trust him to do the right thing. But when we pray and we release that to God, even if the answer isn't in the timing we want or with the outcome we want, we say, God, you ultimately know what you are weaving in your eternal plan. I trust your heart. I trust who you are, God. Daniel does that in verse four as he talks about who God is in his prayer. You are great and awesome, God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love. Verse seven, Lord, you are in the right. Look at his perspective of his faith in God. Verse nine, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Verse 15, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of your powerful, your powerful God. Verse 16, in view of all your faithful mercies, God, you have shown so much mercy. We make this plea, he says in verse 18, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy, because of who you are, God. I've shared this quote with you before, but I think when it comes to us trusting God, even when we don't like the outcome of our prayers, or we don't sense the answer we want, even in behalf of others, we've got to trust his heart. Charles Spurgeon said, when you can't see his hand, what he's doing, trust his heart. Trust his heart. When you can't see what he's doing, trust his heart. Fourthly, intercessory prayer, as seen in the life of Daniel here in Daniel 9, is an uncomfortable humility. It involves an uncomfortable humility. 
where we humble ourselves to the point that, that we're just sort of uncomfortable and it reminds us to pray. Uh, scriptures say humility is very important. First Peter 5, 5 quotes the Old Testament and saying, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In our emptiness season that Leslie and I are in, uh, we've been watching a little more golf on TV. I play golf, but not well, uh, and haven't played uh, for a while now. But um, we've enjoyed watching some golf things. We were watching the British Open last Sunday afternoon, and, and as we were watching, you know, the, the young man from Southern California, Colin Morikawa, uh, won the British Open, the granddaddy of all golf championships, almost 50, 150 years old. And he got what is called the Claret Jug, it's a priceless trophy he gets to take home for the year. And, you know, he, he was pretty happy about it. So he even gave the claret jug a good kiss. It's one of the oldest and most priceless uh, trophies. Um, and then he flew home to the United States on Monday, and all kinds of people who recognized him in the Atlanta airport took a picture of him going through the Atlanta airport with the claret jug in its case as a part of his carry-on. And he was asked about this. He said, well, I found out it would fit in the bin. This is a priceless thing, and he's the champion of golf, you know, and he's, he's, he's an up-and-coming now. He's really at the forefront of stardom when it comes to playing golf. But I heard a lot of sports commentators talk about how down-to-earth this guy is and how humble he is, and they were talking about hope he doesn't lose that because there's something about even great golfers and people of great achievement when they have humility. We need an uncomfortable humility as we approach God. Praying with a spirit of self-denial, not self-promotion. The last part of verse three, Daniel says, I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. This is a sign of humility, the ashes. Rough burlap, every time he moves, it's gonna scratch. He's gonna say, oh, why is that scratching? Oh, because I need to be praying for the people of Jerusalem. I need to be praying for the restoration of the land that's coming. I need to be praying on behalf of others. You see, we need to deny ourselves rather than promote ourselves. I've never met a prayer warrior, a person who prays for others in intercessory prayer, who brags about being a prayer warrior. Matter of fact, it's, it's hard to get someone who prays for others regularly to talk about their prayer life because for them, it's an act of humility between them and God in the spiritual warfare realm. They're on their knees fighting for the needs of others. An uncomfortable humility is a part of intercessory prayer. Fifth, a repentant contrition is a part of intercessory prayer. Where repentance means we're willing to turn from something. Contrition means uh, there, there's, a, there's a brokenness. We understand the brokenness of this world, that we're a part of, of humanity that is broken, that the whole world is groaning. Praying with an attitude of brokenness, not bitterness. If you read verses 5 through 15 in his prayer of confession, he's confessing in contrition and repenting of the sins and the consequences of the sins of, of his ancestors and those who've gone before him. But he has a spirit of contrition. He has an attitude of brokenness, not bitterness. His prayers are not about blaming and bitterness toward those who are wrong. Unfortunately, if it had been me praying for after six and a half decades of being captive in a foreign land, trying to live my life for God, and knowing our people had fallen under judgment, I think I'd be bitter and I'd be pretty angry in my prayer about those stupid ancestors of mine. They're the ones, Lord. I would have blamed and had bitterness. But for him, it's a, a spirit of contrition and brokenness before God. And we need that. Praying for others will get your mind on God and off of you. Praying with others will help you get your hearts and minds knit together in Christ. Maybe there's somebody you see on the TV 
some commentator or political figure. Maybe there's somebody at work or maybe there's even a family member, hopefully not somebody in your house, but maybe there's somebody in your house that you just got to rub with right now. Uh, there's an irritation. Can I just ask you, instead of bitterness or blame, pray for those people on your knees before God? Make them a part of that list of five or seven people you pray for the next week or two? I challenge you to do that. Pray for somebody, even a political figure that you just can't stand. Get on your knees and pray for them, not out of bitterness, but out of brokenness. Find maybe a way to pray with others who irritate or bother you. A pastor I worked for right after, out of seminary, he'd learned this practice from a pastor that had poured into his life and mentored him like he mentored me. When two pastors on staff weren't getting along, he would tell them they had to pray together an hour a week for a year. And on your knees, you begin to see things very differently than you do. If, if we would spend more time praying together rather than arguing with each other, there'd be a lot more done for the kingdom of God. But it takes a repentant contrition, praying with an attitude of brokenness, not bitterness. See, when we pray, we develop a, a heart for other people. The early American politician and follower of Christ, Charles Bent, said, intercessory prayer might be defined by loving our neighbor on our knees. I like that. Loving our neighbor on our knees. Sixth, the sixth indicator or marker that we see in intercessory prayer from Daniel's example is a gracious empathy, praying as if the burden is ours, not someone else's. We feel the weight. We feel the burden. He says in verse 5, we have rebelled against you. He says in verse 6, we, six, we have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets. We, he doesn't say they. When you pray for the medical need, when you pray for the financial need, when you pray for our nation, when you pray for the politicians, our, our uh, national and state leaders, when you pray for your family, when you're praying, talk in terms of we, hold that burden, sense that burden, feel that weight as you pray. There's an empathy, a graciousness that comes that will challenge you to get more on your knees and pray more for more people, to intercede in behalf of others for God, to be in the front lines of the spiritual war in prayer before the God of the universe. And going to the God of the universe is better than being able to walk into the White House or go into the halls of Congress and argue your case. You're going before the very throne room of heaven. I want to invite you to join us in prayer and allow us to pray for you. We've got pastors and staff members and, and elders and prayer warriors in the congregation and our pastors, prayer partners that pray for me regularly during services. They, they all are praying for our congregation and the needs. We, we receive prayer requests every week. We put them on a list, a prayer list. And uh, even now, we want to invite you to share prayer requests with us. And so uh, you were handed that little sheet as you came in that said request for intercessory prayer. That just means request for someone to pray to God on your behalf. If you have a need in your family, in your finances, a job, at the job, uh, your health, or some, the health of a loved one, if you have a need in any way, uh, a broken relationship with your grown children, whatever it is, write on that sheet that prayer request. And then you can take that sheet and look for a sign in the lobby. There are several occasions. They're all on the lower floor here. Uh, but there are several places where there's either a box, almost like a, a ballot box, or there are these racks. But look for that sign, intercessory prayer cards. And below that be a place where you can put that prayer sheet in these racks. You can roll them up like a scroll and slide them in. And we're going to add those to our prayer list this week. And our prayer list will be a little longer, but we're committed to praying. 
And uh, if you say, well, I'd like to submit that electronically, well, you can go to our website, and on the main site, you'll see prayer requests. As you scroll down, click on that. You can submit your prayer request. And if you submit your prayer request electronically, you can also opt in to receive the prayer list. And by the way, we keep all the names anonymous. We, we try to, you know, some people even say just anonymous, or we just use first names, so keep the identities of folks uh, secret. And you say, well, I want to, God knows, right? God knows who we're praying for. On that list, we have people who are battling cancer. We have people dealing with a job loss or uh, other issues. And so we invite you to pray with us. Now, uh, you can get that prayer list, as I said, by indicating that. And every time the list goes out, there's a way to opt out of it. And I'm inviting you to join us even for two weeks as you stretch your intercessory prayer muscles. And so we won't judge you if you opt out a couple weeks from now, right? I, I promise you. But maybe you say, I would like to pray for others that I don't even know. I want to learn to be on my knees. There's something effective and fulfilling about fighting on our knees for the needs of others in intercessory prayer. We invite you to be a part of that. And then you'll receive that list. Now, if you really, maybe this is even simpler for you. Uh, You can just text the word prayer to the number below me on the screen. If you're at home, you can do that. Just text. You can do that here in the room. Text the word prayer to the number on the screen and you get the link back to submit that prayer request electronically. Join us in prayer. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. We need a gracious empathy for one another where the burden becomes ours, not just someone else's. Seventh, the seventh thing that describes intercessory prayer from the life of David is an open-handed generosity, praying for the good of others, not our own benefit. You say, well, what am I gonna get out of this? You get the byproduct of of God meeting you in those moments of bringing fulfillment, but it's not about you when you pray for others. It's, not, it's for the good of others, not your benefit. I like how Daniel says in verse 17, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. He's never gonna see the temple rebuilt, but he's saying, God, smile on that place that honors you. And then he says in verse 18, open your eyes and see our despair, how your city lies in ruins. He's not gonna see the city rebuilt. But, but he wants others to experience that good, even though he won't personally benefit from it. You know, I've learned over the years of ministry, and I know Pastor Steve has learned this too in his 45 years of ministry. You're around long enough. You know that the people who are generous with their time and prayer for others develop a spirit of generosity in their time, talents, and treasures. If you're generous in praying for others, you're gonna be a generous person. Eighth and finally, in Daniel's prayer, we see there is a missional purpose praying for God's name to be lifted up, not anyone else's. This isn't about you becoming known as a giant prayer warrior. This isn't about the name of Calvary. Everything we do, everything we say as the followers of Christ, as members of Calvary Community Church, everything we do is about lifting up the name of the Lord. There's salvation and hope and life in his name. And the the scriptures tell us that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit aim our attention. It's the Father who's lifted up the name of Jesus. We're told in Acts chapter four that there is no other name under heaven among human beings by which we can be rescued and saved other than the name of Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's why as Daniel prays, he prays about God's name. In verse 19, he says, oh God, for your people and your city who bear your name, it's for your sake, Lord, may your name be lifted up. These foreign nations have mocked you, God but may your name be lifted up again. A missional purpose. Look at these eight things. 
Look in your own life as you pray. Maybe say, I'm just getting to that five to seven. I've never really prayed for other people. God bless you. Grow in that this week. Just spend a few minutes praying for other people. But maybe you have been praying in an intercessory way for others. Maybe there are some aspects of how Daniel prayed for others that are missing in your commitment of prayer. May God grow you and look at those areas and allow the Holy Spirit to grow you. Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband Jim Elliot was killed trying to take the good news of Jesus to an isolated tribe in South America, she learned a lot about prayer as a young widow and walking with Jesus the rest of her life. She's now with Jesus But she said this about intercessory prayer, praying on behalf of others. Intercessory prayer is the hardest work in the world, the giving of oneself, time, strength, attention to the needs of others in a way that no one but God sees, no one but God will do anything about, and no one but God will ever reward you for. You say, oh, that doesn't sound very fun, Sean. Why are you calling us to this? Because like the bullfrogs made all that disorienting noise, there's a lot of disorienting noise that Satan wants us to be distracted by. And the best way to deal with that clash between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell itself is fighting on our knees for each other. There's something effective and fulfilling about doing that. And Daniel knew that. And he was committed to prayer throughout this book, even here in this example. On our team, we have a staff member who, when I first came to Calvary, was chairman of the elders. He was a businessman in the community, and he and his wife Joyce had served here a long time, Rick Fusilier. He came onto our team a few years ago as he moved out of the marketplace into ministry. And if you've been around Rick Fusilier, you know that he's a prayer warrior. It's hard to get him to talk about his prayer life because, um, again, there's a humility aspect of prayer. But Rick regularly prays for people. Matter of fact, we've kind of turned his name into a verb around here on staff because he prays for people. And we'll, we'll, we'll say that about them, that you've been fusiliered. But Rick Fusilier is a great example of praying for other people like Daniel. And believe me, he's growing. He wants everybody to know he's not arrived at this. But we got to sit down with him this week and ask him a few questions and just kind of put that together as a a video just of his own story and testimony of how God has grown him in the area of prayer and what it means to be a prayer warrior in behalf of others. Watch this video. I came to Christ in 1983, and it was in this church. Founding pastor Larry DeWitt um, you couldn't pass by Larry without him stopping and praying for you. And at that point, I was kind of embarrassed to pray uh, publicly and even somewhat embarrassed when somebody would pray for me publicly. But that's where my journey of prayer began. I used the uh, Lord's Prayer to start. So, you know, so our Father in heaven, uh, holy is your name. So I do, I think about his holiness and, and often I, and I think about uh, God most high. It just puts me uh, into the frame of mind that, look, he's in control of whatever's going to go on uh, the rest of this day and all the engagements that I have and whatever comes our way, whatever difficulties that we have to do. Then I go in and ask him to bless all the provisions he makes. Uh, But then I go into uh, praying for my family and uh, just a a whole bunch of people that God has put on my heart and, and brought into our lives. And I'm just so thankful uh, for all those people. The discipline of prayer was actually birthed in me more when I was reading scripture. From the day I was born again, I couldn't stop reading scripture. And it talks a lot about prayer uh, throughout scripture. Uh, In Thessalonians where it talks about pray continually, uh, analytically, 
I would ask, how is that even possible? What does that mean? My approach to it was, how can I build disciplines in my life that would make me not hypocritical, but I wanted to encourage other people in their walk. I wanted to feel for other people. I wanted to lift people up. And I would always go back to uh, the image of Larry praying for me and even seeing him pray for others. It's a discipline that goes on around here. And so as I matured in Christ and just kept doing that, you get to see God's handiwork. He answers every prayer. I believe he hears every prayer. I believe he answers every prayer. Sometimes I can reflect in my life, it's been discipline. Uh, as a father disciplines a son, as Hebrews talks about, that's changed me for the better. So his answers are always good and they're always greater than the biggest prayer I've got. But wanting to get more into prayer, I actually started praying that I would become a man of prayer. There's many times you just can't pray for people only on the spot, but you make a commitment to continue to pray with them. They have, they may be going through long-term suffering, they may be going through issues in the family. So I had to develop a discipline uh, on a daily basis. And for me, it was writing names down. It was practicing the immediate prayer and by writing down names and then learning the stories behind the names and then keep looking for how God is answering those prayers and never stop praying. And uh, I hunger to hear from everybody that I pray for eventually, just knowing that God has answered those prayers in some magnificent way. My joy comes from seeing the work of God. Uh, Ephesians 3 talks about uh, that God through his church, he's put his manifold wisdom on display to the angelic beings. So he's, he's risking his, who he is and everything about him, his magnificence, his glory, by the way that we as <laughs> these created beings um, are his ambassadors. And so one of the callings that every Christian has is that we're to be given the message of reconciliation. We're an ambassador of this. We're heavenlies. We seek out his will through the reading of scripture, and then we can go directly to him in prayer. So when I, when I pray, when we pray, we're talking directly to the creator God of the universe. And so the way the joy comes is just as the angels are looking down at the church to see the manifold wisdom of God, I'm experiencing firsthand God's manifold wisdom on display through the people that I'm praying for. I believe that all life is learning to be dependent upon Him and then to trust Him to come through in all situations. And in my life, He has come through in all situations. The very first thing it does when you start to pray for other people is it takes the focus off of me. And it feels good, but it doesn't shut down the prayers for us. There's so many more people now that come alongside of us and lift us up, even though the focus of our prayers is outward to other people. So again, I'm the most blessed man on the planet when it comes to life in Christ, just knowing that prayer works. I have a cup that I keep on my countertop, Lamentations 322b to 323, his mercies, his compassions are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. 
And that is so powerful. And, it's, and it, for me, it's just the daily reminder that he's the king of kings. He's the sovereign God. He's, he's faithful even when I'm not faithful. He will answer every prayer. He knows every prayer, just as in Daniel. He's dispatched an answer to prayer, I believe, before it went from Daniel's head to his lips. Uh, he is so magnificent in every way. And, and he does it in a way that brings him glory and it blesses us immeasurably. Amen. I love Rick and love his heart for praying for others. Develop that list of five to seven people if you've never done that before and pray for them. Fight on your knees for them. Um, if you want us to be praying for you, slip that little piece of paper in one of those places in the lobby or submit your prayer request online. If you submit it online, you can also request then on that same request form at the bottom, check the box that says, I'd like to receive the prayer list to be praying. We will pray for you. We are Church of Prayer, and these next two weeks, we all get to grow our prayer muscles as we look at these chapters in Daniel. Well, what happens when you fight on your knees for others? Well, four things happen. Number one, you become more attuned to God's heart. You love what he loves and you hate what he hates. You become more attuned to God's heart when you're fighting on your knees for others. You become more gracious to God's people. It's hard to pray for people, even people that irritate you or bother you. Hard to pray for them and talk to God about them without you getting more gracious toward God's people. Thirdly, you become more aware of God's work. You become more aware of God's work. You see his hand in places, even when it looks like that request wasn't answered or it didn't work out the way someone had prayed. And fourthly, you become more concerned with God's glory. You become more concerned with God's glory. I'm gonna ask Rick Fusilier to come up and to pray just before we sing our closing song. And um, thank you for letting us share your story. And you, you have to know how reluctant he was for us to, to do that. But I'm so thankful for your willingness to do that. And it's an honor and a privilege to have you pray for us now as we go into this final song. Thank you, Rick. Let's bow. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so good beyond our comprehension. Lord, thank you for the privilege, the blessing for all of us today to participate in this joy of worship and praise to you. Lord, thank you for this lesson out of Daniel 9. Thank you for this journey that we've been taken by Pastor Sean and Pastor Brian. Lord, I pray that you would use the words and the lessons taught here this day to penetrate deeply into the hearts of every one of us. Lord, that we would grow in your grace, that we would become everyone a prayer warrior for you. And Lord, if somebody's here who has not ever turned their life over to you yet, and they've heard your words, your holy words, Lord, may this be the day that they would seek you out we know, Lord, that they too will experience the joy of life in Christ. And Lord, for every one of us, if writing those names down, Lord, may, they, may you continue to put names on lists for everybody to be praying for. And Lord, for those who need prayer, may you be dispatching the answers to those prayers as only you can right this very minute out of your great mercy and your compassion. So Lord, thank you that no matter what the battle is in our life, 
We are surrounded by you and your glory. The battle belongs to you. And when you're in charge of the battle, there is always victory. So Lord, we, we bow before your throne and we offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise. All honor and glory is yours and yours alone in Christ's name. Amen.